Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. What's up, my guy? Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast. Another week closer to the start of the new NHL season, which also means that it's time for another division breakdown. And as I mentioned in last week's iteration, this week we'll be focusing on the Central Division. And if you happen to miss last week's episode, I would strongly suggest you check it out right after this one, because the Atlantic Division has been shaken up quite a bit since last year, and many teams within that division can be seen as potential playoff candidates. So if you want to hear my takes on all eight teams from the Atlantic, Check out the 84th episode once we are done with this one. But that's the layout for today. If you are not familiar with the protocol, first we are going to go over each team's past season. Then we will move on to their off-season moves, after which we will finish off each team breakdown with my scoring leader and breakout player prediction. Plus of course the hot take for the season and the final verdict. So lots of speculation inbound once again, that's for sure. And just like last week, we got a long way to go, so before jumping into action, check out the media handles from the episode description and press the follow button if you enjoy the content. But now, let's punch out the intro and get this thing rolling. Without further ado, let's get going. Okay, so the Central Division up next and certainly this division will receive its fair share of eyeballs this year and some of you may know exactly the reason for that. But if you are unsure about why specifically, well, it is of course because of this summer's first overall draft pick Connor Bedard and his presence in his new team, the Chicago Blackhawks. Last year, the differences between the central teams were once again very marginal and quite frankly, that is expected to be the case again this upcoming season, just based on the fact that few teams have entered the retooling phase, while few bottom feeders have focused on becoming more competitive. So, while there's still few teams that at least on paper separate themselves from the crowd, the overall outlook for this division is looking quite good at least for the time being so. There are a few reasons to keep a close eye on this bunch of teams when the action starts in a few weeks. But to get this thing started, we have to head to Arizona where we find our first team of this week's episode, meaning the Coyotes, who have been surprisingly busy during this year's off-season. Last year they finished 7th in the division and with that were awarded with another lottery pick which they used to draft a Russian defenseman Dimitri Simashev with their 6th overall pick, who was seen as one of the Hail Mary picks of the very first round. But despite their awful regular season results-wise, their past year wasn't a complete shitfest since they were able to take many teams by surprise especially on home ice and overall looked much much better than what many people thought before the new season kicked off in their new NCAA home barn. They stayed in close games for the most part, and even though there were some blowouts in the mix as well, of course, especially when compared to their name list, they overachieved in many people's size, mine included, which brings up the question, can they build upon that and become even more competitive within the next 82-game NHL campaign after all their recent departures? 
well, at least on paper, they've made changes that should enable that to happen. But once again, how significant those changes end up being is a completely different topic of discussion. But at least they ain't looking like a complete joke, which hasn't necessarily been the case within recent years. Jacob Chikrin was the first name to leave the town as he was traded to Ottawa at last year's deadline. And very soon after, Shane Gostisphere, Troy Stetcher, Nick Bukestad and Nick Ritchie also bagged their bags and headed to the airport. And once the first buyout window opened up this summer, only more names were added to that list as both Zach Cassian and Patrick Nemeth were bought out of their current deals. And later on, guys such as Connor Mackey, Boko Imama and Christian Fisher decided to head elsewhere. Without forgetting, of course, the Alex Kalchenyuk incident, which eventually led to his contract termination only days after his initial signing. A few days ago, we also learned that Andrew Ladd had decided to hang up his skates, but since his prior seasons have been plagued with injuries, it wasn't that surprising to see him leave the sport behind him. But regardless of that, after a thousand NHL games, two Stanley Cups, and over 500 points, I think he deserves a shout out. So. Congrats to him for his majestic NHL journey and best of luck for the future, whether it is within the sport or completely outside of it. So those have been the major departures from the club since last deadline, but against some odds, some of those names have made their returns to Arizona. So next, let's check which names have landed in the desert within the last couple of months. Well, first of all, we gotta mention the trade that went down on June 24th since on that day the LA Kings decided to make some room to their blue line by trading their right-handed defenseman Sean Dersey to Arizona in exchange for a second-round pick. So pretty much their offseason began the same way their deadline ended, except that this time they were the landing spot for new players. And once the free agency doors opened up, their GM Bill Armstrong, who was given a multi-year extension by their upper management, decided to throw duffel bags full of cash on the counter as they grabbed home Jason Zucker, Travis Dermott, Alex Kerfoot, and Matt Dumba from the open market with decent deals, in addition to returning names Troy Stetcher and Nick Bukestad. So, while the names aren't that massive on the league-wide level, they certainly are ones that bring some depth to their otherwise hollow roster that hasn't been able to compete even with the mediocre teams in the league with name power in recent years. Additionally, they also brought in depth guys John Leonard, Justin Kirkland, and Jack Sanford with close-to-league minimum deals, and even signed forward Ryan Zingle to a PTO contract a couple days ago, so at least on paper, they possess a lot more depth on both the offensive front as well as defensive end, which is something that's been missing from their game for quite a long time now. But what was more than likely their biggest addition this summer was a guy called Logan Cooley, who was their 2022 third overall pick. And while some of you may be asking, well, how can this guy be their biggest addition if he hasn't even played any NHL games yet? Well, bud, my answer to that is, think long term. The guy just had 60 points in 39 games in the NCAA and was one of the best players in last year's World Junior Championships as well. So, when you look at Arizona's current center depth and see that there's a real demand for a future first-line center, you have the answer right in front of you because he will without questions be the guy that will take that spot, if not this year already, in very near future at the latest. 
He was rumored to remain in college for the upcoming season, but somehow their management was able to convince him to move to pro rinks after stellar showing in the NCAA. And due to that, is without questions one of the Calder favorites for the upcoming season and should really challenge Bedard for the top spot due to his potential role as their first-line center alongside Clayton Keller, who just broke the franchise single-season point record this past year, and of course Nick Smaltz, who has consistently been one of their best offensive weapons when healthy. So the odds are certainly on his side, and that is why, first of all, I'm really excited to see his impact on the next level, and second of all, he's their biggest off-season addition this year. But if we move past that, we have to talk about their other additions as well, since the Czechs, they just wrote a few additions, raised some eyebrows, but when you don't have success on your side, you have to leverage other means of attraction, and more often than not, that's excess amount of dollars, which ended up bringing in names Jason Zucker and Matt Dumba, for example. Zucker is coming off of a tremendous season with the Pens, and partially due to it, some have set pretty high expectations for his first year in the desert, but given that he's now working with pretty different caliber players, I believe that his impact won't end up being as big as many might think, but certainly he's going to bring some scoring power to their top six, and will get them some additional assets on the deadline when he's eventually dealt to a contender at the back half of the season. Dumba, on the other hand, will strengthen their weakened blue line with his presence, and while he's not expected to be a huge offensive catalyst on their blue line, he will bring some much-needed defensive prowess and puck-moving ability to their back line, and especially physicality, which is always needed in the Western Conference. And on top of that, the addition that might fly under the radar for many is Sean Derzikas. He pretty much lived in Drew Doughty's shadow in LA, but now that he more than likely gets first-line power play minutes on the Yotes blue line if Valimäki doesn't end up stealing his job. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him finish the year with at least 45 points because he's a dynamic offensive blue liner who makes his dough by dancing on the offensive blue line. And therefore, I feel like he's going to surprise some people with his offense this year because already last year he had 38 dots in 72 games. And now that he will see even more minutes in Arizona, I feel like we are going to see him blossom, and that's why he's also one of the names that belongs to my breakout player category. The only concern on his part is his defensive game, because like with many offensive-minded blowliners, that is his clear weakness, so if his deep partner can't carry the pairing's defensive duties, we could end up seeing quite an ugly plus-minus numbers at the end of 82 games, but certainly the offensive upside is there, there's no doubt about that, but a lot will depend on his deep partner as well when it comes to overall grade of his next season with his new team. Last year, their both special teams were asked to be brutally honest, but with the way they've addressed their roster this summer, I fully believe that to change for the better at least marginally, which could also drive up both their goals for, as well as goals against stats, which were from the lower end of the league as well. So while they certainly have something to build off of, there are still major question marks looming in the air, and when you take a look at their projected lineup for the season, you start to wonder, was last year just another fluke year in their existence, or are they really starting to take small baby steps towards becoming relevant again in the NHL? Well, that is certainly something that we will learn soon after the season starts, but what brings the excitement level up for this team is definitely the youth that has taken over their lineup within the past two years. 
Clayton Keller, like I said, has taken tremendous steps in his development and is now the clear-cut offensive dynamo of this team. Matias Mecheli is coming off of a terrific rookie season featuring 49 points in 64 games. Barrett Hayden has finally started to show signs of his previous upside and a 43-point campaign as their top six center is certainly something to build on. Without, of course, forgetting the underrated seasons of Juuso Välimäki, who finished the season as their top blue line producer with 34 points, and J.G. Moser, who is one of the lesser-known gems in the Yotes organization, at least if you ask my opinion. Add to that list previously mentioned Cooley and Dylan Genther, who got his first taste of NHL action last year, and certainly didn't look out of place in his 33 appearances. And you have a pretty decent bunch of names that could do some damage in the future without questions. Their goaltending situation also is in a total shambles since their starter Karel Weimelka had a pretty good season last year between their pipes, even though his numbers wouldn't necessarily tell you that. Kuster's subpar defense left him for the Sharks on many nights, and he had to stand on his head just to keep things from slipping out of hand. And alongside him, they also have Connor Ingram as their 1B option, who wasn't a complete liability last year either, so there's still some hope left on that front as well if their defense can hold their own when the action starts in a couple of weeks. So, if you haven't caught up yet, in my mind this will be one of the teams that I'm most intrigued about this year, at least when it comes to early season, since I can totally see them being out of the playoff race within the first 20 games if they end up falling on their face straight from the start, but if last year is anything to go by, this team could be a major headache for the big hitters of the Lakers. They've addressed some of their weaknesses this summer, and the young energy they possess could surprise some teams if they think they are going to get easy points out of Arizona this year. Clayton Keller will take the scoring title, and I think there won't be too much competition for that spot if Smalls misses as many games as he has during previous seasons. But when it comes to their breakout candidate, there's plenty to choose from as I presented, but I'm gonna go a bit off the board and go with Barrett Hayden, who found a new spark alongside Clayton Keller at the back half of last year's campaign. And due to it, I anticipate him to keep taking strides offensively and breaking his last year's point record of 43 dots this upcoming season and getting closer to the 60-point mark if fully healthy. Obviously, the other extremely juicy candidate would have been Logan Kulikas. I believe that he will take on Bedard in the Calder race if he ends up being the guy on Keller's side. But you also can't forget Dursey, and especially Valimäki, who will more than likely have himself a career year on the Yotes back end, given that he's going to be their go-to guy on the left side. Plus, of course, we have the Canadian sniper Dylan Genther, who should be flirting with at least the 35-point mark this year, with the way he's been lighting up the lamp in the WHL. And as a dark horse candidate, I would like to nominate Josh Stone for that spot who signed his ELC before the season was over, because... He had a strong start to his pro career with their farm team Tucson Roadrunners, and if he ends up impressing during the preseason, we could see him on their NHL lineup right before the first puck drop, but like I said, Hayden will be my guy when it comes to real breakthrough ability. But like you can see, there's a lot to choose from, and every one of these names could have been a perfect fit for the spot, but I decided to lean on their projected number one center at the end. And as a hot take, I'm going to ride with my stallion to the finish line and say that Logan Cooley ends up stealing the Calder Trophy from Bedard at the end of 82 games. Yeah, that seems just as plausible as me finding the Atlantis, but 
that's the best one I could come up with since I've already seen enough Yotes finish with 500 record predictions. So we are going to go with that. And I will end this segment by saying that more than anything, I am excited to see their young guns in action and overall how big of a difference their offseason additions end up making within the next 82 games. Because their entire backline plus Jason Zucker and Barrett Hayden will demand new deals after the season. So they could end up changing their outlook even more next summer if they end up falling way short during the next campaign. But that's all regarding the Yotes. Finally, we might see some light at the end of the tunnel, but quite frankly, it's still too early to tell. So we are just going to move on to last year's bottom feeder team that ended up winning the NHL lottery after the regular season was over. And that team, of course, is the previously mentioned Chicago Blackhawks who hauled in the big prize of the offseason, Mr. Connor Bedard, and with that, have regained some interest around the NHL fans across the globe. Last year, their record of 26 wins, 49 losses, and 7 overtime losses granted them the second best odds for the NHL draft behind Anaheim, but since we now know how that thing turned out, we can say that their rebuild has fully started, which should have begun already years ago, if I'm completely honest with you. They scored the least amount of goals during last year's NHL campaign, and overall their season didn't have many bright spots, but Due to their recent moves, that could change to a certain extent since, quite honestly, heading into last year, their one and only goal for the season was to get the best possible odds for the draft, and they pretty much succeeded in that. So, in all honesty, it was miserable to follow their season right from the first puck drop until the final buzzer, but now at least they have something that they can use as leverage when negotiating future streaming deals. Same can be expected though this year again since they haven't made any major changes to their roster if you count out the few trades they've been part of. So if you are expecting me to tell you that with Bedard they will begin their search towards the top of the league, you are mistaken my circus. I can tell you straight up that that ain't happening. And if you need some proof for my claim, just go check the Oilers and Penguins records after drafting Sid and Jesus with their first overall picks. Next year is going to be another building block on their path towards better future, which will be built upon names such as Bedard, Reichel, Korczynski, Kaiser, Vlasic, Nazar, Moore, Rinzel, and Comesso on top of many others. So pretty much the only reason to follow this team next year are Bedard himself and the rest of the young crew that ends up making the cut from their training camp. But if they end up rolling to the new season with a similar lineup to last year, you might as well switch the channel and put on a full 90-day fiancé marathon kiss. That will be more entertaining than watching the Hawks play more than likely. They have just started their rebuild and still have plethora of high draft picks coming up in the coming years, so that also reflects on their off-season moves that have been really minimal on paper on the league-wide level. Alec Regula and Ian Mitchell were shipped off to Boston in June, while Andreas England, Alex Daylock, Caleb Jones and Austin Wagner decided to use their free agent passes. And the only additions to their this year's rosters have been Captains Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno and Corey Perry, plus the only true free agent signing Ryan Donato, who arrives in the Windy City in hopes of some additional ice time, which he will more than likely receive when taking a look at their current roster outlook. And yeah, of course, their captain Jonathan Taves won't be part of their next year's roster since about a month ago it was announced that he would be taking some time off to consider his future in the NHL. And at least at this point will be outlined for the season, so 
by all counts, this team is not expected to make much noise and more than likely will enter the 2024 entry draft with pretty good odds for landing another top three pick in back-to-back years. Contract-wise, they are right where they should be if you count out Seth Jones' current 9.5 million sheet, which will weigh on their shoulders until 2030, where most of their guys are signed just up until next offseason, so they have plenty of room to take on some cap at the deadline and with it, all in more additional assets in exchange, so there's really not much to analyze when it comes to this team, since pretty much 20 wins this year would be a win by itself, but since we know that they ain't here to compete, we just have to set up for Bedard show and hope that they can turn the tide sooner rather than later with their young, high-end names. It'll be interesting to see if they end up rolling with Kevin Korczynski throughout next year, or if they just end up giving him his nine-game trial with the big club before sending him back to WHL, because the kid has all the tools to become a peripheral top four or even top two defenseman on the next level, but... It might still be too soon to inject him in the roster based on the fact that he still has some growing to do physically before taking on the responsibilities of a future top-end NHL blue liner. Another aspect that interests me is the Taylor Hall effect and if he can carve himself out another huge deal after the season is done because he could have another great year offensively if they can establish great chemistry with his centerman CB98. And this way gets another goal for Lord Stanley after the deadline because he will get every chance possible to make that happen. Only concern being his health, but quite honestly, I would be shocked if he wouldn't put up like 60 points this year alongside Bedard and get traded before playoffs because once again in last year's postseason, he showed that he still has that dog in him and was one of the best Bruins forwards during their short playoff run. And the final individual that I'm extremely hyped about is of course one of my favorite up-and-coming European prospects, Lukas Reichel, who might end up slipping in their first line alongside the two previously mentioned names and make his breakthrough to the league-wide audience. Last year he recorded 15 points in 23 NHL contests, and I don't know what took so long for him to be injected into their NHL lineup, but Once he got his turn, he used that to his advantage and looked extremely comfortable against the best of the best in the bright lights. And quite honestly, at times dominated the on-ice action when he had the puck on his tape. You guys know exactly how much I love his game and I have massive expectations for his first NHL campaign. And just because of it, he will also be my breakout player for this Blackhawks squad. Connor Bedard is the obvious pick, and I've already told you that I'm anticipating a plus 50-point campaign from him, so it should be pretty obvious at this point that I'm expecting him to do most of the damage this year on the Hawks lineup. In addition to those two guys, I would also like to shed some love to former second-round pick Taylor Radish, because he was close to finishing the season with 40 points to his name, so this year I feel like he has a chance to do that and even get closer to the 50-dot mark if he gets minutes on their first power play unit. And while we're at it, I might as well throw in my scoring leader prediction since it's going to be the number 98, because I feel like Hall won't see his season ending with this squad, and because I feel like Bedard can carry this team's offense straight from the first puck drop, like Matthews partially did when he entered the league for the first time. And to some, that might sound like a hot take, but... That won't be the take for this team since I'm going to amp up the Bedard pump and say that he will finish the year in the top 60 in the league-wide scoring. 
Last year, the limit for that was 70 points, so he definitely has to work cut out for him. But if the Hawks end up keeping Hall and he doesn't end up feeling the effects of rookie status, I feel like that's achievable, but certainly that's a tough task to accomplish even on a contending team, not to mention in an organization that would have their work cut out for them, even against AHL teams, but we'll see what ends up happening. And while setting massive expectations and pumping his stars, I need to make clear that by no means am I expecting him to absolutely dominate straight out the gates and more so expect him to feel some growing pains in the process since Like you can see, the Hawks lineup isn't from the top end and he has very little assistance alongside him if you count out Taylor Hall. Since most of the other guys featured on their lineup are either themselves learning the ropes of NHL hockey, are players that haven't quite lived up to expectations or are just earning their last paychecks before retiring. So I certainly won't be the first guy to call him a bust when he hits the rookie wall. And like with Levi. I have moderate expectations for his rookie season because NHL ain't junior hockey anymore and you have to adjust to it on the fly, which could take some time like we just saw with, for example, Jack Hughes a couple of years ago. So what I'm expecting to see is a bottom finish for this team. Their offense is extremely unpredictable. Defense features some decent names, but certainly isn't anything spectacular. And the blue paint features names that aren't considered as lake elite per se. So. All eyes are going to be on Bedard, but I feel like finally some folks will start to notice Reichel in the process as well. But similar outcome inbound for the Hawks organization, whose front office is more than likely just fine with that when considering their state as a rebuilding franchise. Next up on the board, we have the Colorado Avalanche, who experienced some turbulence during last year's campaign and were eventually eliminated from the cup race in the first round by the NHL newcomer Seattle Kraken. Injuries were the hot topic around the team throughout last year's regular season and another campaign without their captain Gabriel Landeskog could present some problems for a team that hoisted the cup in 2022, but as long as you have studs like Nate Dogg, Mikko Rantanen, Kael Makar, and ridiculously underrated Devon Taves manning your top lines, you have pretty good chance of finding the postseason at the end of 82 games. Last year they finished as the top team in the Central with a record of 51 wins, 24 losses and 7 overtime losses. And like I've said previously, I was astonished by the way they were able to drag themselves to the top from below the playoff line with so many injuries to many of their key players. In the playoffs, they quickly noticed that their depth wasn't going to be sufficient enough against the Kraken team who just rolled their four lines throughout the seven-game series, which became to be the biggest difference maker alongside Philip Grubauer's revenge performance against his former team. And when heading into next season, the same question still looms around the air concerning their depth that has been cut down significantly since the 2022 Cup run, because this summer again, they lost fairly big pieces that were part of their core during that dominant postseason period. Alex Newhook was the first guy that was dealt away for draft picks and soon after his departure, JT Comfer, Matt Nieto, Eric Johnson and Evan Rodriguez decided to change scenery as free agents. In addition to deadline acquisition, Lars Eller and depth options, Mikhail Maltsev, Charles Sudan and Dennis Malgin. GM McFarland wasn't going to just stay on the line of fire though and acquired Ryan Johansson and Ross Carlton to Mile High City even before the free agency doors opened up. 
And once the signing started to flow through, we learned that he had also acquired names Jonathan Duran and Miles Wood to their lineup in addition to their most recent signing, Tomas Tatar, who was brought in just earlier last week. Vinci Kiviranta and Sakumen Alanen were also brought in via PTO contracts, and one of the most intriguing rookie signings of their offseason was without a doubt forward Nikolai Kovalenko, who eventually ended up staying in Russia for another year, so unfortunately we won't be seeing him in North America just yet, but with the way he started the new KHL campaign, the expectations have only grown on his part from the moment he was announced as the new piece of the Avs organization. So a bunch of changes has happened since the Avs last time stepped onto the ice and exactly because of that reason we have to look at their situation a bit closer because while this team is still considered as one of the top cup contenders, they showed their weakness last year and that's why they made changes to prevent that from happening again in the near future. So pretty much if you look really closely to their offseason moves you can see that their GM Chris McFarland has dug deep with these additions because Most of them have showed real upside on the NHL level but have either regressed from their top tier level or completely have missed the ceiling as a whole. So while most of the eyeballs are targeted towards their superstars, some spotlight will be left for their new additions which makes this team an interesting group to follow this upcoming season. JT Confer was replaced with aging Ryan Johansson as their second-line center, and Ross Colton was brought in to fill the hole left by Evan Rodriguez, who decided to head to Florida this offseason. And first of all, I gotta give props to McFarland, especially for the Johansson trade, because it shows some real cojones, but also while saying that, I gotta say that I have some serious doubts about this deal, because we all know that his game has slowly regressed ever since 2019-2020 season. And of course, there was that one magical year in 2022 when he returned back to plus 60-point range, but I think no one expected him to retain his level beyond that year. And last season, we witnessed him going through another injury-riddled campaign, which only ended up featuring 28 points in 55 games. So, yes, he absolutely could get you 50 points next year and could be a viable replacement for Comfer, who in all honesty played above his paid grade last year and as a result, racked up career high numbers which led to a fat paycheck from the wings but Johansson's health is the major concern here and since that was the big headache for the Avs last year I don't know if this fixes anything if he can stay on their lineup for more than 50 games next year. Mosswood 6 times 2.5 million deal is another topic of discussion as well since the rugged bottom six winger has also had his fair share of injuries in recent years and for example missed most of the 21-22 season because of it, so while I love what he brings to the table on a nightly basis, I also gotta keep in mind the downsides, but certainly I see him as an overall improvement to some of the names I've stressed in their earlier NHL campaign. Their latest addition, Thomas Tatar, though, is more from the safer end of the spectrum, where he more than likely takes his spot in their middle six and claps home 40 points next year, so I have nothing bad to say about that because the numbers show that he's still extremely effective forward who can give you solid defensive game while adding few goals on the board. And same pretty much goes with the younger addition Ross Carlton who has showed some glimpses of a top 6 score in Tampa but due to their stacked lineups hasn't really gotten a real opportunity to prove his worth for the organization but now he more than likely gets that in Colorado and hopefully shows how good the Bolts organization in fact is in player development. 
The American Waterbug has now three seasons in the NHL under his belt, two of them being plus 30-point campaigns. But if you are looking for a breakout player or a fantasy sleeper this year from the big league, Colton oozes that potential to me because he has nose for the net and isn't afraid to go in the dirty areas of the offensive zone. So I would be surprised if we don't end up seeing Brandon Hagel as breakout season from Colton this upcoming year. He more than likely will get some minutes on the power play as well, and since he can play either on the wing or at center, he can jump up and down their lineup when needed, and that versatility should serve him well if Johansson gets dropped down to third-line role, or if they end up needing more physicality to their first two lines. And the final player I want to touch upon before we move on to their overall outlook is Nathan McKinnon's former partner in crime from his days in Halifax since there is no doubt about the fact that he had his fingers all over this signing when GM McFarland began his search for budget forwards early on in the offseason. And this bodes pretty well with the previous player as well because there are seriously ingredients in place for some kind of a breakout on Drouin's part because even though I'm not fully on board with the idea that their former flame would just magically appear between these two, I would think that if there is a chance of that ever happening, now is the time since Druan is still extremely skilled forward who possesses tremendous amount of speed and offensive upside. Trust me, bud. I saw him fly in the Habs uniform, and if he just gets to fly on McKinnon's wing and execute give-and-go plays with him, I could see a few points on his score sheet next year, and you also gotta remember that there's this guy called Mikko Rantanen on the other side as well, ready to throw pucks at the back of the net, so... In all honesty... Despite how ridiculous this might sound, I think that this guy has the potential to be one of the biggest gem signings of this year's free agency. The biggest problem once again on his part are the injuries since he hasn't played a near full NHL season since 2019, but every year he stepped onto the ice with the Habs, he was over a half point per game player with arguably inferior linemates. So even though my initial thought was that this will be one of the most outrageous picks of the offseason. I've started to slowly warm up to the idea, but it will all depend on the fact if he's able to stay healthy. So that's that. It's a complete boom or bust signing. There's no in-between, or maybe there is, but with the way I've had the idea of him finally reaching some kind of ceiling, there's only two options. So all in all, I would say most of these picks reach for great upside, but in the worst case end up being just cap anchors for the team. So take it as you wish, but I would say that their core hasn't gotten any worse since their entry to the postseason earlier this year. Last year they were in the top 10 in league-wide scoring and had one of the best power plays in the NHL as could be expected, but I have to say that next year, if this core stays relatively healthy, they are just going to improve their numbers, but what was more than likely the most surprising stat from last year, given their massive injury struggles, especially on their back end, was the fact that they were one of the teams that allowed the least amount of goals against. But when you go check out their goalie stats and notice the terrific numbers that Alexander Georgia posted in his first full year as a starter, you understand that he was the main catalyst of it, so... If he's able to give up his level next year and the Avs don't get crushed by injuries like they did last year, they are once again going to be an extremely dangerous team that won't give any free points away. 
So with all that said, it hurts me to repeat the fact that injuries are the boogeyman for this team because you can just plainly walk over the fact that such names as Byram, Francis, McKinnon, Druan, Johansson, Wood and even Nichuskin have battled with serious amounts of injuries in recent years. And because of it, they will carry a massive red flag until the finish line, which could become to be their downfall when all chips are laid on the line. In my mind, their decor is still one of the best in the league and features at least two top five blue liners in the entire league. Yes, I belong to the Devon Taves fan club and you should join too. He's a pending UFA, so that's another headache for their leadership group for the upcoming season. Goaltending is solid enough to take on any team you want to throw at them, and forward core is still filled with elite superstars, plus responsible two-way forwards and decent depth, so it's clear that something needs to be seriously upside down if this team ends up biting the dust again in the very first round of the playoffs. Mikko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon will lead this team offensively from start to finish and this year I expect Nate Dog to take back the top place in their inner scoring table but not by a large margin. Ross Colton will be my breakout player from the abs and as a hot take, I'm going to predict a career-high campaign for McKinnon's Mooseheads battle buddy Jonathan Duran, so this year will be filled with sparks, no questions about it. I'm still waiting on Bowen Barham's real breakthrough to the NHL ice and it seriously could happen this year, but because injuries have really seemed to slow down his development, I'm going to reel back my expectations and give Carlton the honors to break the bank as their breakout name. I would gladly take a breakout season from Byram as well since you guys know that I love his game and have been his big advocate, but there are reasons why that hasn't happened yet and I really that it's eventually going to stay as a dream, so I'll just put my money on Colton this time around. So just like I said, it's going to be an interesting year for the Av squad on many fronts, and I will certainly keep a close eye on their progress throughout the year, so if you want to stay updated on that journey, I will suggest you press the follow button and return each time I upload a new episode for you to enjoy. Top table finish is what I'm expecting from this bunch and Kale McCarr to redeem himself another Norris trophy after a plus 80 point campaign, so no surprises there. And next we will move on to their closest competition at least on paper, and that is of course one of my own cup favorites for next year, the Dallas Stars. The Stars took the next step on their journey last year as they finished second in the Central Division and paved their way to the conference finals where the Vegas Golden Knights pushed them out of the cup race in six games. But despite that, in the big picture, their young guns stepped up to the next level which only enhances their expectations for the upcoming NHL season. The record of 47 wins, 21 losses and 14 overtime losses was enough to clinch a home ice advantage for the playoffs but certainly they are expected to turn few of those OT losses to wins within the next 82-game campaign. And quite frankly, if Robo, Hintz, Heiskanen and Odinger find similar form for this year, they will be one of the most ferocious teams offensively, there's no doubt about that. Many names in their lineup clogged up career-high numbers and they were across the board one of the top teams in the league, whether it was goals for, goals against or even penalty kills. So, at least on paper, there shouldn't be too much to worry about, but few changes have happened since their playoff appearance, so 
let's check out what kind of a turnover has happened in Texas ever since their date with NHL playoffs. While the departures haven't been any major ones since the only guys that have changed scenery this summer include names Luke Lendening, Colin Miller, Marian Studenich, Will Butcher, Joel Kiviranta, plus deadline acquisition Max Domi. While the summer arrivals include middle-slash-bottom six names Craig Smith and Sam Steele, depth defensemen Gavin Bayreuther and Derek Pouliot, plus PTO signee Jordi Ben, and of course, possibly the biggest off-season haul Matt Duchesne, who was brought in with a one-year three-million sheet. So by only glancing at the name list, you could argue that the team has strengthened even more from last year, and I wouldn't argue with that because in my papers, they are one of the cup favorites like I stated just a minute ago. Contract-wise though, they are arriving to a crossroads since young names such as Niels Lundqvist, Thomas Harley, and Ty Delandria will ask for pay raises at the end of next year, and the right-handed sniper Wyatt Johnston-Steele will be up year after that without of course forgetting the UFA statuses of such names as Duchesne, Pavelski and Hakan Paso. While there is no rush to get their deals done as of now, they must perform some cap gymnastics at some point because Ben's 9.5 million deal will still run until 2025, and Sagan's 9.85 cap hit will weigh down on them until 2027, so... It won't be an easy task to accomplish, but manageable when it's time to start figuring out what to do with the rest of their core. Luckily though, Jake Ottinger is the only name that still needs to be signed to his long-term deal before 2025, but other than that, their big names are locked up for a few years forward, so currently they are staring at a 2-3 to year window cup-wise if they want to make it happen before Jason Robertson asks for his next hefty paycheck from his current employer. But the band stayed pretty much the same from last year. Obviously, Matt Duchesne is expected to be another difference maker in the mix as well. Forward core will more than likely stay as potent as last year, and even if, for example, Ben doesn't find the same touch as last year, I feel like they have enough gunpowder to fix the situation on the fly, and of course, Wyatt Johnston is another name that could blossom in his sophomore year, so he is expected to take a bigger role in their lineup when the puck drops for the first time in just a couple of weeks. Miro Heiskanen has become one of the best blue liners in the league, and I feel like he can even hit another gear next year, so keep your Norris ballots close by, and it's also going to be another test year for Jake Ottinger, whose numbers start to crumble in the playoffs, so for him, the next step is to take over in the playoffs like he did just a year prior. So, currently the only thing I would worry about is their defense since Ryan Suter was straight up horror show during the postseason. And if his game keeps regressing, we could easily see his minutes disappear into thin air next year because their former first-round pick Thomas Harley is quickly pushing for a top-four spot and could end up being the guy that steals the top-pairing role from Suter if both guys continue where they left off in last year's postseason. Scoring-wise, Jason Robertson is obviously the home run pick, first plus 100-point season last year, and something similar is expected during this year's campaign again. Breakout-wise, we have fairly similar situations since previously mentioned Johnston is expected to take the second-line center spot to himself this year, and with it should be flirting with a plus 50-point season if all goes well, but Thomas Harley and a newcomer Logan Stankoven are pretty good shouts as well, but given Dallas's current roster situation, I wouldn't be surprised if Stankoven would start his season with their farm team, 
and eventually ends up getting his call up soon after the first injuries start to beach the shores of Lone Star State. So I'm going to stick with Johnson this time because I was very impressed by his first season in the bright lights. And finally, as a hot take, I'm going off the board a bit with this one because I don't want to give away my cup predictions quite yet. So I'm going to go with Niels Lundqvist and a plus 30-point campaign. That basically means that he would need to double his current career high point total. And since he's pretty much the sixth man on their current depth chart, a small miracle has to happen that is linked to some power play time. So... You know, it's a bit out there to be honest, but since I really like his skill set and went with Odinger's Vesna trophy last year, plus since Heiskanen is about to take over, I wanted to throw some spice in the mix because those are more probable than the one I chose to go with. But without a doubt, this team will be one of the teams to beat in this year's regular season and big things are expected from this bunch thanks to their last year's success, so... We'll see what they are capable of, and we will return back to the table once we pass the midway point of 2023-2024 NHL season. Next we head to Hockey State aka Minnesota, who's been hands down the least active NHL organization during this year's offseason. And if you've done your homework, you know exactly what the reason for that is. They had another Minnesota-esque finish to their season, and in civilian terms that means busting the nut in the first round of the playoffs, but since they haven't lost a lot this summer, the outlook for the upcoming season is fairly promising given that some of their young names are another year wiser and the band has stayed together, which is usually good for the overall morale of the team. They finished the regular season with a record of 46 wins, 25 losses, and 11 overtime losses, which led to them to a first-round matchup against the Dallas Stars, which featured probably more drama than what we would have wanted, and after six games, they were eliminated from the postseason. And while getting bent over by the refs doesn't feel good, especially if it leads to an early summer vacation. Their showing wasn't completely horrible, so there's something to build upon once the next regular season starts in the Twin Cities. Philip Gustafson was their bright spot last year, and his stellar performance ended up earning him a three-year extension from the Wild, while Matt Baldy was just as good as I had anticipated, so the next target for him is to reach the point-per-game mark, which shouldn't be too far away from him if he keeps on scoring with similar pace to his first two years in the big league. On top of that, you also can't forget rookie Brock Faber's entrance to their lineup because the right-handed blue liner looked poised in the few games he played and, quite honestly, was one of the more noticeable names on their back end even without any goal contributions, so his emergence more than likely pushed Bill Guerin to pull the trigger on Matt Damba, who decided to take the big box from Arizona this offseason. Carol Kaprizov's year was highlighted by a late-season injury and his performance in the postseason was something that their fans as well as the Thrill himself want to forget. And while speaking of injuries, we also gotta take into account that both Ryan Hartman and Joel Eriksson Ek were out of their lineup for most of their first-round series against the Stars, so their center depth was very slim when they headed to face the stacked Dallas squad, which really showed when they went against the top-heavy Stars bunch. So like I just said, there were lots of positive aspects and individual performances in their last 82-game-plus game stretch, but are they still good enough to take on the big hitters of the Western Conference is the real question. Well, my simple answer to that would be 
yes and no. First of all, their only off-season additions so far have been Jujar Kara and Pat Maroon, who just basically was brought in to replace Ryan Reeves, who joined the Leafs as a free agent. While the departures do include names Steele, Damba, Endeline Reynolds, Nyquist, Klingberg, and Sundquist, so as you see, not a lot of changes compared to last year, but if you would just purely round these out, I would argue that it ends up being a net loss in the big picture. Yes, those guys weren't their big performers, but once again, they've lost some depth from their roster, which comes in handy, especially when entering the postseason. And since they don't have that much cap space to operate with, it could end up being tough to try to reel in any additions to their lineup when the postseason starts to call again later during the spring. Additionally, we witnessed their repetitive first-round exit, so what should make us believe that they can show something different when the battle for Lord Stanley starts up again is another question in which we are still waiting to hear an answer to. Well, I would at least argue that they now have enough experience from the postseason to overcome that challenge, and second of all, their eastern counterpart Toronto just did it last year, so why wouldn't they be able to make it past the first hurdle themselves? Yeah, exactly. And the outcome could have been totally different last year if JEE and Hartman would have been fully healthy and if the refs wouldn't have pegged Marcus Foligno in front of thousands of people, but that's once again just ifs and buts. But like with Ottawa, I feel like despite their extremely mediocre reputation, I have more belief in them than many others around the sport. But also while saying that, I have to be honest and tell you that my vision will be heavily affected by their postseason opponent once they make it there, but regular season-wise, I fully believe that they can once again find themselves from the top end due to their consistency, but if scoring takes another dip and they solely rely on their first-line scoring-wise, they could be in for a long season because last year already showed that if they can find help for those guys, they are in dire straits, but we'll see. If you guys can find back their scoring touch, and I'm mainly looking at you, Ryan Hartman and Marcus Polino. Which leads us to my next point, scoring struggles and possible breakout names. Well, first of all, it has to be said that either their overall scoring numbers were just down last year, or blatantly guys like Marcus Folino and Ryan Hartman showed their true capability, because they had one of the worst goals for statistics in the entire league as a team, but were still able to battle their way to the playoffs. But if they, alongside, for example, Eriksson Ek, can find another gear to their offensive game, the conversation could be quite a bit different one. And in fact, if JEE has a healthy season in front of him, I believe that he still has few notches in his disposal offensively because he has continuously improved his numbers ever since taking his place in their top nine. His defensive game is already elite and 61 points in 79 games is nothing to speed on, but if he and Baldy can find the next year, they could be a real contender next year in the Central since there are way more question marks in the air within this conference than in many years prior. But in order to become that, their defense and goaltending has to stay above league average, and since many are expecting Gus's numbers to drop drastically this year, that could end up being a tougher task than what it seems on paper, and they still have to figure out if they'll keep their former first-rounder Kalen Addison, who put up 29 points on the board in 62 games this past year. 
So with all that said, I believe that Wild has a real chance of remaining as a playoff team and I also believe that guys who had down seasons are going to bounce back closer to their career highs which should keep them in the race throughout next year. Gus's numbers will drop, there's no questions about that, but despite it, he should easily take over the starting role, which should wake up Bill Guerin once again to the idea of trading Flurry to a contending team for some assets, since he still has some trade value left, and finally, despite Damba's departure, I believe that they will also improve their defensive numbers, because last year it was mesmerizing how easily they made their way to the playoffs with such horrific defensive numbers, so... The question will still remain as if they'll be any more threatening when the postseason arrives or if they will just lay an egg in the first round when boys need to change to their big boy pants. Scoring leader Kirill Kaprizov, no ifs or buts about it. And in this case, I'm going to nominate two breakout candidates since the duo I'm going to be naming will break their career high totals hand in hand. And that is Joel Eriksson Ek and Matt Boldy. Yes, Boldy was my pick last year as well, but like I explained earlier, I feel like this was just the beginning for both guys, so I'm expecting big years from both of those young guns, which should ease off some pressure from Caprizo's shoulders. And you might also want to keep your eyes on Brock Faber, because he's the next big shutdown defenseman for the Wild, and while he may not flirt with huge point totals, he's going to take Matt Dumba's spot under the lineup and fill the opposition's mouth with baking flour, because that's exactly what he does for a living. We are also still waiting for Marco Rossi's real entrance to the NHL and I could argue that Addison is in the same boat with him as well. So if you're looking for offensive sleepers, these two could be the picks for you if Addison ends up re-signing with the Wild, gets top four minutes alongside defensive juggernaut Jonas Brodin and leads their first line power play unit, plus Rossi steps us to their top two lines better. We'll see if there's still hope left for these two that have had to battle for their spots on the next level. And lastly, when it comes to hot take, I'm going to say that they end up doing what the Leafs did this past year and make it out of the first round of the playoffs. It's not that tall of an order to accomplish if they play their cards right, but by looking at their recent results and seeing that the last time they made it past the first round was back in 2015, It makes you think if I'm just trying to sell you nonsense, but like I've stated, they are not in a totally horrible situation currently and should be amongst the top teams in the West, but nothing is guaranteed, that's for sure, and we will keep a close eye on them throughout this year's NHL campaign. Next team on the board is the Predator Pack from Smashville, who got its new leader prior to the offseason, and so far... No one's been able to figure out what their heading exactly is for the next upcoming NHL campaign. Last year they finished 5th in the Central Division with a record of 42 wins, 32 losses and 8 overtime losses which put them just 3 points away from the playoffs, which in all honesty was quite a remarkable achievement from their bunch after selling at the deadline, but after seeing the moves they made this summer, you start to wonder if that actually was just the first step of their retooling process which continued with the Matt Duchesne buyout and ended in the Ryan Johansson trade. Their 2022-2023 season was riddled with injuries which forced some new names into their lineup and as custom, Yusasaros made sure that they hanged on to a playoff berth until the final few games of the season, but 
compared to their prior campaign, we didn't see a similar bridge punch that took many by surprise with their resilient performances. Roman Yossi had a down year on the points department partially thanks to minor injuries. Matt Duchesne returned back onto the earth after breaking a single-season point record the prior year. Then Philip Forsberg was missing from their lineup for over two months, so it really was magical how they were able to stay with Calgary and Winnipeg until the final few games of the regular season. The one name that absolutely took over offensively after his call-up was Tommy Novak, who ended up registering 43 points in 51 games up top and was probably the main reason why they were willing to part ways with their more seasoned names Johansson and Duchesne. And because of his fiery entrance into the league, he will be one of the more closely followed names during the early season without a doubt, because many want to see if he really is the real deal, or if his performance ended up being just a crazy coincidence. Nino Niederreiter failed to make a lasting impression after getting signed in the offseason and he was gone from the Music City before the deadline closed, and Matthias Ekholm was dealt to Edmonton around that same time. Mikael Granlund got a short gig in Pittsburgh before heading to San Jose, and their tough guy Tanner Genot was packaged to Tampa Bay for the playoffs, so all in all, this team has experienced quite a change since the start of 2022-2023 NHL campaign. But that wasn't all those in-step names. John Leonard, Rasmus Asplund, Jack Sanford and Cal Food also ended up changing gears this summer. And in order to replace some of those previously mentioned names, Barry Trotz decided to bring in few veterans for leadership roles. As Luke Shen, Gustav Nyquist and Ryan O'Reilly were added to their roster in addition to Russian winger Denis Gurianov. So basically, if you haven't paid any attention to their offseason and are just starting to check their name list for the upcoming NHL campaign, you probably start to understand why no one has any clue about their MO for the next 82-game span. Like, yeah, I understand why they let go of some of those names that were mentioned earlier, but what were the reasons behind bringing in similar caliber players that are, quite frankly, on the last half of their pro careers? After all, you just signed Philip Forsberg to a multi-year extension. Roman Yossi is still one of the elite defensemen in this league. You still have uses Saros between your pies for two more years with ridiculous 5 million sheet. And the team had the cap space to go for it this summer, so... Why did they just settle on these few guys that bring little to no upside for their postseason odds? Because at least to me, that sounds more like a foundation for a playoff team than possible retooling. I don't know if I'm completely lost with that take, but currently I see this team as just as mediocre group than in prior years, where you have some great potential in your young guns, few real difference maker players on your top lines, and a stud standing between your pipes, so... I just don't understand why would they force themselves in this kind of a situation where they've been pretty much already for multiple years now without any remarkable results, where instead you could have gone for it and then said, okay, at least we tried. But I guess the GM change in that sense happened at a tough time and Trotz wants to start with a relatively clean slate, but still I just can't grasp the core idea in this and I may be just that stupid that I don't get what they are trying to achieve here. Or just basically that same thought also controls the airspace within their front office. 
Last year, they were horrific on almost every front, whether it was goal scoring, power play, or even overall defense. So it really was miraculous how they survived for so long in the West. But I guess that's what Vesna level goaltending does for you. So while keeping that in mind, this new core doesn't really raise many positive feelings inside me. And I fully believe that this was just the first phase of either complete rebuild or some sort of a retool because many guys from their current lineup will start asking for new paychecks next year. And Yusa Saros is of course the big fish waiting for his next bag in 2025. But while wondering about their next heading, I gotta say that at least currently, I don't have many realistic outcomes for their upcoming year because, like I said, they haven't done any major improvements to their roster and the young guys who busted into the scene last year are still nowhere near NHL stardom, so... If Yusasaros just doesn't completely steal a show like he could, I see the Preds as a lottery team at the end of 82 games. Simple as that. Or at least I would hope that to be the case since if they are not contenders this year, you might as well start to blow this thing to pieces since, like I said in last year's season preview, they've remained in this mediocre category for some time now and while your top names still have some name value, why wouldn't you use that to your advantage since we all know that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results from it. So before they enter that realm, I would suggest they do something about it because like with Mini, you are right now scary close of accomplishing that to be completely honest. Last year, Roman Yossi took their inner scoring title to surprise of absolutely no one. And since Philip Forsberg can stay healthy for more than 50 games, I'm going to say that he accomplishes that feat yet again next year. And don't even try to sell me Tommy Novak's name, because while I believe in the idea of him being one of their best producers, I don't believe in lightning striking in the same place twice. So Yossi is the more probable pick for me. And that's why I'm going to go with them. And when it comes to breakout player, while I would love to say Novak's name, I just have to go with my boy, Luke Evangelista, because I've been sniffing his jockstrap so hard that I would be a clown if I didn't pick him. So while there are many excellent candidates for that spot alongside him, I'm going to go with my prize horse and leave some room for the other guys to prove me wrong. Cody Glass. Novak and Phil Tomasino are names that make my feet tickle a bit, so I'm excited to see what happens with those guys. And as the dark horse candidate, I'm going to shout out Joachim Kemal after seeing what he did in the AHL once he made the jump across the Atlantic Ocean, because if the Preds are looking for some additional scoring help, they might find it within, and therefore Kemal could find himself from the bright lights if he ends up impressing during the preseason. As a hot take, I'm going to say that this upcoming season the rebuilding process will start in Smashville and Jose Saros will be the big name exit in the team in 2024. More than likely during the offseason simply because these sorts of monsters tend to move during the summer more often than at the deadline. Yaroslav Askarov had himself another solid year in the AHL and takes his spot up top with Kevin Langanen who will make sure that the Preds get their top 5 pick for the upcoming draft. And honestly, at this point, I almost hope that that ends up being the case because they've tread water for some time now. And since many teams are exiting their own rebuilds, it's time to start new ones. And given their lack of extreme youth talent, 
I would hope they start to focus in that sooner rather than later. So those are my final thoughts about the Smashville representatives. And next, we will head to another team whose future is in question given their small fire sale at last year's deadline. And that, of course, is the St. Louis Blues. The Blues had an underwhelming 2022-2023 NHL regular season where they finished 6th in the Central Division and missed the playoffs by 14-point margin. Vladimir Tarasenko, Niko Mikkola, Ryan O'Reilly, Nola Chari and Ivan Barbashev were traded at the deadline, but luckily that was pretty much it in regards to departures since the only other names added to that list include dead players Tyler Petlek, Logan Brown, Steven Santini and Matthew Highmore in addition to their backup Thomas Grice who hung up his skates during the summer period. They added Sammy Blay, Kasperi Kapanen and Jacob Vrana at the deadline to replace some of those names and continue to make moves at the draft table as they traded their 2024 fourth round pick to Philadelphia in exchange for their centerman Kevin Hayes. And later on, brought back bottom six forward Oscar Sandquist from Minnesota and added Mackenzie McEachern to their lineup who had a tremendous showing in the Canes uniform during this year's postseason. Nick Ritchie was also signed to a PTO a couple days ago, so we'll see if he ends up earning his next paycheck from Missouri, but besides that, overall they are heading to the new season with a freshened up look, which is expected to carry them to the postseason after 82 games have been played. And unlike many other teams already covered in this episode and even the earlier one, their biggest obstacle last year weren't injuries per se and more so the team just massively underperformed and pretty much their downhill started from the early season. So this year they gotta be better during the first quarter of the upcoming campaign if they aim to beat their division rivals and head back to the postseason ahead of many other hungry teams. Jordan Bennington had a brutal year between their pipes and at some point just started to focus on everything else besides stopping pucks and if he ends up putting on another circus next year, the pressure will be on the rookie goalie Joel Hoffer who has been lights out in the AHL the past few years. But despite some turnover on the roster front and a woeful below 500 record from last year, I feel like many fans are currently underestimating this team and while I'm not fully convinced myself about their postseason odds, I'd like to think that we will see a different team next year on Enterprise Center's ice because they start to pick up the pace at the back half of the season. And especially guys like Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo and Pavel Bushnevich started to find the back of the net which was something that they were struggling with early on in the season. Jiggy Vrana was tremendous in his short stint and even the drunk driver was able to increase his point totals in the notes uniform so it is not all gloom and doom for this team despite all the negativity surrounding the franchise at the moment. But that is exactly the thing that might end up being this team's downfall since for starters they were trying to ship Tory Crook elsewhere in the offseason due to his defensive shortcomings and decreasing point totals, but since he wasn't willing to waive his no-move clause, he remained in Missouri, which obviously created some friction between the front office and their locker room. And also you gotta remember that they brought in few names that have been known for their inconsistent play and some off-ice concerns, so can those guys focus on delivering for the team for a full 82 games, or... Could we just end up witnessing another batch of actors for the latest St. Louis soap opera is my question. But if in fact those guys end up delivering, 
Jordan Binnington focuses on stopping pucks and their defensive end holes. They should be in pretty decent shape since offense should come easy, thanks to somewhat underrated trio of Cairo, Thomas and Bushnevich. Depth might end up becoming another problem during this year's campaign, but if Alexei Chorobchenko and Jake Neighbors keep progressing their game, they should bring more weaponry to their middle six, and you also shouldn't forget names Nikita Alexandrov and Samuel Blay. Plus veterans Braden Shen and Brandon Sarkis, those guys will fill their roles on their lineup without asking too many questions, so at least on paper they should be in better shape than what last year's overall record might suggest. But certainly there are many question marks looming around this franchise and for example one big question concerning their defense is are Tory Crook and Colton Pareko still top pairing D-man because if last year is anything to go by, Justin Falk is soon going to be their true number one defenseman alongside Kale Roussin who was probably one of the more consistent blue liners for them last year. And if that ends up being the case, we can quickly shut our eyes from the postseason conversation because that decor won't hold water without those two leading the pack, that's for sure. Last year, Jordan Cairo took their inner scoring title with 73 points and he's once again a strong candidate to repeat that next year, but I feel like if Thomas stays healthy and gets the first line minutes, he's going to pass the point per game mark and become their leading scorer once 82 games have been played. Vrana has potential to really take over offensively as well, but since his last full NHL season is from 2019, I'm not confident enough to tell you that it's going to happen this year either, because in prior two seasons, he has only played 51 games on top level, so if you want big returns for your bets, that is certainly something I would put my monies on. Kevin Hayes should also be a nice offensive add to their top six, especially if you compare him to Ryan O'Reilly, who had a miserable season with the Blues last year offensively. And Pavel Bushnevich is also a top candidate for the scoring race, but just like Brana, he has consistently missed some action due to injuries, so therefore Thomas is going to be my pick for the upcoming season. Breakout-wise, I would seriously hope that Hofer would be able to steal the crease to himself, but I'm currently not confident enough to predict that to happen, but We'll see. The ball is currently on Bennington's court considering his future with the organization. So when it comes to breakout player prediction, I'm going to select the scoring leader Robert Thomas for this spot as well since I've talked to some people inside the Blues bubble and they've said the same thing that he has another gear to his game that we haven't seen yet. So if he ends up manning their first line like I expect to happen and he gets to play alongside offensive dynamos like Cairo, Rana and Busnevich. We are about to witness a plus 80-point campaign, which should be a huge boost for their playoff odds as well. Jake Neighbors is going to be my dark horse because he has now gotten his first taste of NHL action, and while he may never become this massive offensive juggernaut, I feel like he's going to be one of the league's most impactful second-line wingers due to his physical up-and-close personal playstyle, so we'll see if he ends up taking the next step towards that goal this year. Zach Dean, Leo Luf, and Zachary Bolduc are players that you should also keep your eyes on because if injuries start to pile up for the Blue squad, some of those young names could enter their lineup fairly quickly without forgetting the one name that is going to feature my hot take for this team. And that individual is going to be Scott Perunovic, who is going to highlight my hot take for the Blues. And just to add some spice into the next season, I'm going to say that he takes the first-line power play point-man job and registers a plus 
30-point season straight out the gates. He was almost point per game in the AHL last year and racked up eight dots in 10 games for the Team USA in the World Championships. So while injuries have affected this NHL trajectory quite massively, I still want to believe in his upside and that is exactly why I'm going all in with this one. And at least that creates something to look out for when the action starts in just few short weeks. So nothing is set in stone at this point, but I have full belief in their head coach Greg Berube and I feel like he won't let last year just slip through their fingers unnoticed. So we could end up seeing extremely hungry Blues team when the action starts, but I've also covered the biggest potholes that they have to go over. So it'll be interesting to see at least how they manage those bumps while trying to claw their way back to the postseason. And then we've arrived to the final team of our today's episode, and that is of course the Winnipeg Jets, who as well have been surrounded by numerous rumors thanks to their underwhelming postseason performance and some pending UFAs that might be on their way out if things go south in the true north. Last year they just squeaked into the playoffs with a record of 46 wins, 33 losses and 3 overtime losses. And their humiliating first-round spanking was followed by a blockbuster trade that saw Pierre-Luc Dubois heading to West Coast. And in exchange, the Jets acquired more youth to their ranks as Rasmus Kupari, Alex Ayafalo and Gabe Villardi arrived in Winnipeg for the former third overall selection. But that wasn't all because they also ended up buying out their former captain Blake Wheeler and let David Riddick, Kevin Stenland, Carson Kuhlman, Sam Gagne and Sakuman Alanen walked through free agency doors for free and in exchange acquired Colin Delia and the new cup champion Lauren Brossois to their crease from the open market. For quite a while last year the Jets remained near the top of the league but same consistency issues returned back in their locker room near the halfway point of the regular season and due to it they ended up falling quite significantly in the standings before they locked up their ticket to the postseason as the last team from the entire Western Conference. Joe Morrissey had a monster year on their back end and without major injuries he would have been one of the Norris nominees without questions. And unfortunately once again their Danish winger Nikolai Ehlers got bent over by injuries and missed a half a season of all-nice action, but luckily their deadline acquisition Nino Niederreiter found a spark in his new hometown, and ended up being one of their top producers in the first round, so the tight turn on his part quite tremendously compared to his performances in the Preds uniform. My breakout candidate Cole Perfetti also missed some time due to mid-season injury, but 30 points in 51 games is certainly something to build on, so if Villardi ends up on the wing, the second line center spot could be up for the taking and at least in my opinion, Perfetti should be pretty good fit for that opening but we'll see if his boot size ends up being big enough to fill that void left by Pierre-Luc Dubois. The team didn't really shine on any specific aspect last year if you count out Connor Hellebuck's tremendous bounce back season so if they want to remain as a playoff team, I would strongly advise them to try investing some time to aspects such as 5-on-5 defense and power play because they might have some trouble scoring goals next year if top 6 guys end up in the IR at some point next year. Hellebuck can carry them only so far and their defense wasn't as solid as I expected beforehand which was quite worrying to be honest so Unfortunately, I have some concerns about this team despite their ventilation efforts. 
They have a grocer list of car names as pending UFAs, which creates only more questions about their future. And if guys like Hellebuck and Shifley end up leaving next year, they have to find suitable replacements for those guys from the trade market since their GM Kevin Sheveldayoff has already told that they are not aiming to rebuild their roster anytime soon. So that pretty much leaves only one option available and it's a retool which they pretty much already started with the Dubois trade and Wheeler buyout. But they also have to figure out if those two remaining names will be part of their core also going forward because they won't be cheap. That's for sure. And the cold hard fact is that they can't afford to gamble with those guys because pretty much if they haven't been signed before the deadline, they are as good as gone and their hand will be forced. So the best outcome for them would either be a total collapse when they could trade away those two early on without having to worry about their extensions or straight up be near the top spots close to the deadline because at that point you might have some leverage in the extension talks. But what is sure is that Shell Dayoff's days will be numbered if the team fails to make the playoffs and they end up losing both guys for free in the offseason. But before that moment though, we will still have at least 82 games to witness what this team is capable of with their new captain Adam Lowry. But right now when I look at their roster, all I can see is mid-tier Western team that has more questions than answers in their close vicinity. So... The hunt for available playoff spots in the West might end up being juicier than what many might think beforehand. Last year, Kyle Connor took their top spot in their inner scoring table, and I don't expect that to change this year if he gets another full season on his belt. And if that ends up being the case, I would also expect him to get closer to the 50 goal and 90 point mark because he has all the tools to accomplish that if he gets enough assistance from his line mates. And when it comes to my breakout player prediction, this time I'm not going to lead with my last year's big call Perfetti since I feel like there's a guy now on their roster who is bound to step up to the next level scoring-wise. And that is their new acquisition, Gabe Villardi, who is coming off of a 41-point campaign. And that was shortened with few minor injuries. So if he gets top six minutes alongside names that I've mentioned before, 60 to 70 points should be in his crosshairs and even bigger totals aren't totally out of question by any means. But I'm also not going to completely forget Perfetti since he's still one of my favorite upcoming prospects and he could have flirted with 50 points last year if he wouldn't have been sidelined after the All-Star break so I think he should get there if we can see him play north of 70 games this year. And since we already established the fact that Mark Scheifele is heading to Boston in our previous episode, we probably have to find a landing spot for Mr. Hellebuck as well. No, I'm just kidding. We might do that in the end, but I'm going to go with a similar take to my Panthers one, where I predicted that Brandon Montour's last year was just a freaky exception. So, as you could probably guess, that also now applies to Josh Morrissey and where he's about to experience a real drop on his points department from the prior season. And this is of course the hot take. At the end of the day, until last year he's been surfing around the 35 point mark so my prediction is that he drops closer to the 40 dot range and that ain't bad at all but when compared to last year's 76 point total is quite a large drop but We'll see if he's able to get back to his level after dealing with a season-ending injury. But just like I said, an interesting year coming up for the Jet squad and big bets are on the line right from the start. So 
expect them to be one of the teams highlighted in the trade rumors throughout the upcoming NHL campaign. And oh yeah, Hellebuck will head east and the most likely landing spots for him are either Buffalo or New Jersey. But don't tell anyone that I told you this. But with that, we are halfway done with our season previews and just like I expected, a boatload of PTOs have been handed out in recent days, so expect to see plenty of new signings being made in the next upcoming weeks. Let me know what you think about my takes and how you see this division lining up at the end of 82 games. Many teams are heading into next season with many unanswered questions and because this year again, the expectation is that two teams at least will be above the rest, so quick efficient starts could end up being poisonous for some teams looking to get into the mix before time runs out, so I'm going to end our this week's season preview with a quote. You can't win the championship within the first 15 games, but you can definitely lose it. And with that, I will start to pack my equipment and begin the preparations for our next week's preview. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed. We once again ended up passing the one hour mark, but I guess if you survived this long, you ain't too but heard about it. And next week, we will be heading back to East Coast and check what the Metro Division looks like a few weeks before the official start. Now though, it's my time to sign off, so thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Check the media handles from the episode description and press the 5-star icon on Spotify if you believe that Jonathan Drouin will ignite the flame alongside his former partner in crime. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. All right.